Hello, and welcome to Wands and Fronds, the weekly podcast where we cover magic, herbalism, and more. I'm Nick. And I'm Shannon. And we are your co-hosts. And this week, I'm going to be giving an introduction to air magic. Very exciting. Yeah. A whisper on the wind. Um, On that very airy note, I'm going to be talking about a controversial but powerful plant, comfrey and i'm also going to tell you all about the legendary god who allied himself with humans and was certainly punished for it prometheus oh no yeah uh big mistake big mistake prometheus big whoopsie which we will talk about but we have so much to cover today because an intro to air magic is a very big topic so i'm gonna hop right in with comfrey and i do have to say like this plant has been used for a long time but we have to start with like a little bit of taxonomy. And I'm super sorry, but this is important. Um, Symphytum is a genus within the borage family, uh, boraginaceae, you know, borage, boraginaceae. The confusion pops up though, because there are actually 35 different species of plant that go by the common name comfrey, which is confusing for a lot of people that's too many comfries yeah it's like this is where it's kind of important to know the latin name of your plants y'all i'm all for calling things their common name but like especially if you're using it for like herbalism and you're planning to like consume it or put it on your body you want to know the latin so you know you're getting the right comfrey so first there's symphytum officinal which is known as common comfrey Um, From this common ancestor, though, a bunch of related species pop up, right? So we get like S. tuberosum, which is in like marshes across Britain. S. aspirum is a species that can grow up to five feet tall and is like super irritating to the skin. There's also another relative called Cynoglossum officinale or hound's tongue that produces like a bunch of tiny prickles that get on everything and are super annoying. Okay, but that's such a cool name, hound's tongue. Oh, that right. sounds like it should be in a potion. It yeah, it does. Um, and I have some suggestions for maybe using hound's tongue later. But today we're mainly going to be focusing on common comfrey, which is what you'll most often find in like herbal shops. So this plant has like angular hairy stems with oblong leaves and the flowers are like pale purple and bell shaped like the color is very reminiscent of borage flowers that kind of like bluey purple that you get that's just like gorgeous I think they're so pretty and even though it's considered a weed by some people this plant has been used for its medicinal properties for more than 2,000 years so she's been around the block (laughs) The Greeks used it to stop bleeding, and Dioscorides even prescribed it to treat broken bones and wounds. We know from monastery records that monks grew comfrey to treat villagers with like internal injuries and all sorts of lung ailments. And good old Nicholas Culpepper prescribed comfrey for everything from blood in the urine to hemorrhoids. And the Cherokee of North America used it to treat uterine cramps and digestive complaints. And in 1871, you know, just a few years ago, Henry, Henry, the seventies, this dude drove an El Camino. He did. Old Henry Doublesday and his El Camino thought that he could use the mucilage in comfrey to replace the glue used for stamps. Uh, But he ended up using comfrey instead as like an animal feed and focused on growing it as a food crop. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time today talking about how to grow comfrey. Y'all, it's a weed. Like it's easier to get going than it is to stop it spreading. So first of all, 
before we dive into like the herbal, like the herbalism uses for it, I would like to remind you guys in case you have forgotten, I am not a doctor. Nick is not a doctor. This podcast is not intended to diagnose or treat anything. We just want to give you guys information, do your own research, talk to your medical providers. Like this is not medical advice. Okay. Thanks. It's it's not. And uh, (laughs) yeah, not a doctor either. Not a nurse either. I have no medical degree. I am over 60% done with my herbalism certificate program though, which I'm very proud of. I will let y'all know when it happens. I'm like, we're going to have a little party. So anyway, the use of comfrey as a topical treatment is pretty well accepted overall by herbalists, but there's actually some disagreement about taking it internally. And that's because of something called PAs or pyrolyzidine alkaloids, which is why you call them PAs (laughs) and comfries contain them. And PAs can be toxic to the liver. And because of that, the FDA did ask for the voluntary removal of products containing comfrey in 2001, and it's banned in oral preparations in Australia, the UK, and Canada. With all of that in mind, and knowing that like PAs can absolutely be damaging to the liver, the reason that this all basically got started is this 13-year-old boy shows up in the hospital, and he has severe liver damage. He had uh, Crohn's disease and had been taking comfrey internally. And they made the connection between comfrey and the liver damage. And then they basically uh, like just took the PAs and injected them into a bunch of rats. And then the rats had liver problems, but no way. Right. With all of the scary information in mind though, I do want to like point out, and I, this is just something super important in herbalism that a lot of well-known herbalists still recognize that like the issues of herbal safety are not straightforward. And this is why I'm like, talk to your doctor, do your own research, Rosemary Gladstor, Gladstar Gladstar in 2008 said that she acknowledges the FDA's position. And while she doesn't recommend taking it internally, she doesn't hesitate to do so herself. And the biggest problem with these experiments really boils down to the fact that like at the heart of herbalism, it's not about individual chemical compounds and plants. That's pharmacology. That's creating like Advil or aspirin and herbs impact on the body is like a lot more complex than that because it contains multiple constituents. So like one of the like biggest examples of this that I can immediately think of is dandelion, right? So dandelion is a diuretic and one of the problems with diuretics and they have this with patients that take pills for it is that it can cause potassium depletion in the body. But guess what? There's a lot of in dandelion greens, potassium. No way. Yeah. And it's like in willow bark, which is where aspirin, one of the things aspirin's pulled from, willow bark has a lot of mucilage in it that protects the belly. And what happens to your tummy if you take too much aspirin, you get stomach bleeds. So again, it's like to take one constituent of a plant and say that piece is dangerous. So you shouldn't use the plant at all. I feel like is a pretty big leap in logic with the way that herbalism is practiced to say the entire plant isn't safe. But with all of that said, I can't like in good conscience on a podcast recommend taking it internally, but I just think that's a super, super important thing to keep in mind if we're ever talking about herbal medicine is it's like fucking apples contain arsenic. We know this, right? There's like toxicities in the dosage, but also plants have things to balance out some of the ill effects. So that's, that's actually what I was thinking of when you were, you know, giving the example of willow bark was that, yeah, I mean, really if you wanted to to use apples as an example, like that's, that's a perfect example too, where it's like, you can totally eat an apple, 
and you're not yeah. going to die. But there is arsenic in it a little bit. Just a little bit. There's a little bit of arsenic in cherry pits. But you know what? You can eat a cherry. You're not going to die. I eat a lot of cherries, y'all. If someone could die from eating cherries, it would be me. I eat like pounds of cherries during cherry season. I'm not even joking. They're my favorite fruit. But let's talk about the topical applications of comfrey because there is still a lot of really good shit here. So comfrey at its core, the thing that comfrey does is it generates and it builds tissue. And that's what makes it so good for wounds. But because of that, it's also like a little too good at that for things like puncture wounds. For deeper wounds, one of the problems you can run into with comfrey is that you risk it like healing the top layer of tissue before the bottom layers can catch up, which is a recipe for abscess and infection. So, you know, if you get a scrape, you can put some comfrey salve on it. But if you get like, you know, stabbed, maybe go to the doctor, but also don't put comfrey on it. So <laughs> in addition, though, to being like a super baller vulnerary, it's also demulcent. The demulcent factor is where you get into like effects that it's used for internally, but I'm going to skip that now because again, this is a podcast, but uh, with that in mind and all of its good work on building up connective tissue, I do have to give it up for Diosporides and his use of it for broken bones. So you can apply it topically to broken bones, sprains, and even injuries to your tendons and cartilage which I think is just super badass. And the other cool thing is because it's a demulcent, it's not going to be as like drying though on wounds as some things can be. So it's a vulnerary and it helps build things up, but because it has that demulcent kind of moisturizing property, it's not going to get like crusty. And like, you know, when you put on treatment for wounds, sometimes like if you scrape yourself and you like put like hydrogen peroxide and it feels like it just like gets really tight because it's all dried out. Well, and I mean, you know, even just like rubbing alcohol. Yeah. It's like, yeah. oh my God. Yeah. Crust City. Crust City, USA. Not going there with Comfrey. So in my mind, if you have like a scrape, my like picture perfect remedy, and I can't wait to get Comfrey to make a Comfrey salve, would be to put like, you know, you fall and scrape your knee, which I do because I'm very clumsy. I'm an adult who falls. I put a little bit of Comfrey salve on it and then like a lamb's ear leaf as like a little natural bandage. How cute. And also magical and medicinal. But that's the, that's the medicinal use. Like really, if we're talking about like using it topically, it's a wound healer. If you like tore your ACL, make a comfrey salve, apply it topically, like in addition to all of the other things you're doing. But this is very much a yes and podcast. I think this is a great topical application when you're healing from injuries. Um, but let's talk about magic because this is a magical podcast, right? So uh, one of the things I do want to add up top is that I am no longer going to include traditional masculine or feminine plant associations when I do my plant profiles. Um, personally, I am like currently working on a lot of stuff with my relationship to the gender binary as someone who's married to a person who identifies as genderqueer. So it's like really important to me that my personal magical and spiritual practices like honor that evolution. And I think it's a pretty good practice to try and not gender things like plants anymore when we can avoid that. So with that said, the plant is associated with Saturn and the water element. And that Saturnian vibe like really comes into play when you think about how it like builds structure in the body, right? Like that's such big Saturn energy, big Capricorn vibes right there. 
But with that said, like magically, one of the things that Comfrey's really good at is foundational long-term manifestation work. Think making a career pivot, speaking from personal experience. So I think this would be a really excellent addition to an oil that you use in manifestation rituals that are building blocks for bigger goals. Like in particular, one of the things for me that immediately came to mind was the work that Sarah Faith Gottesiner talks about in the moon book that she wrote uh, with moon maps, which I've talked about a little bit on here before, where you're working sometimes through multiple lunar phases on building towards like a manifestation goal. I love the idea of like using an infused oil with comfrey, either for like body oiling or bath rituals or even candle dressing throughout that long manifestation work. I just like, mm, that feels like a great way to use it. It's also though really good for protection work. And again, here I'm thinking specifically about S. asperium or the hound's tongue that we talked about. Plants that are abrasive and irritating are really great candidates for setting magical boundaries and doing protection work. So you could even let some of these like bad boys take hold near the perimeter of your yard or set up like a wider protective boundary. And then before I finish here, I also have to plug that I really think Comfrey is an awesome ally for your Saturn return. Hi from me and Nick, enjoying our Saturn return currently. Um, it's like still in Aquarius through July before it pops out for a minute. Um, so adding this, I think, to a regular ritual can really help you capitalize on like the building power of your Saturn return and also provide a little protection from some of the more painful aspects of this major astrological life event that we all go through. Um, so yeah, I'm really looking forward to going out and buying some comfrey, infusing some oil and like getting it into my like daily life. Um, but yeah, that's that's all I have. Uh, my sources today were evolutionaryherbalism.com, which is run by Sage Popham, The Herbal Academy, The Modern Witchcraft, Modern Witchcraft Guide to Magical Herbs, and of course, Cunningham's Encyclopedia of Magical Herbs. That old Cunningham always coming through with right? the um, Yeah. It, I, I love that he's in every episode. Or or she. Is it I, I it's it's a he. I'm like Cunningham is a last name. It could be Yeah, good old um, Scott Cunningham. Oh great. Um so I you know. Okay. So you guys, air magic. Um I feel like I just have to like at the top here say that in the true spirit of the air signs, this uh this segment jumps around a lot um and goes really down some rabbit holes. <laughs> so which is very uh, appropriate um but i hope uh like all of my beautiful air sign friends that it is informative and entertaining and what you know but it's also like aquarius season just started a few days ago yep so I, as far i wanted to plug we're recording this on my nana's birthday my grandmother who raised me like the first Aquarian in my life. Shout out to Nana. So yeah, for all you guys uh, that don't know, Nana's the best. Um, and yeah, I you know because I did I, for everyone who doesn't know, I did live with Shannon for a good bit in high school uh, with with her grandma. So you know, big shout, big ups to Nana on her sixty ninth birthday. Ooh, dirty! And I already made that joke to her today. Uh, yeah, my Nana is such an Aquarian baby. She is the second youngest, but 
oh man, she was always the black sheep of the family, the crazy hippy dippy one. We're the weird part of the family, like such Aquarian vibes. She is such an Aquarian matriarch. So speaking of air signs we know and love, I just kind of also wanted to start off before we like get into the exciting and mysterious world of the air element. Just say that I am like personally surrounded by air signs. So like my good friend here in town, Callie is an Aquarius. Her sister is a Libra, a friend of the pod. Uh, and, you know, the one who did our haunted house interview for all of you on the Patreon, uh, Eve is a Libra. My good friend Jaden from work is a Libra. Uh, my mom is a Gemini. Oh, Karen. Um, also, her sister was uh, an Aquarius. Um, gosh, it's 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 a lot. That's it's, a lot. Yeah. My so my grandmother is obviously an Aquarius. Uh-huh. My youngest sister is an Aquarius. And Eric has an Aquarius moon, which is very strong in their personality. And I, I, I'm an Aquarius ascendant. So I trick people into thinking I might be one. <laughs> but no, I do love air signs. Uh, you know, air, every air sign has a sister sign that is a fire sign. Um, you know, so and actually we had all all of them. It was so funny at Christmas. I was actually hanging out with Callie and Kara, right? And um, Callie's boyfriend's mom just so happens to be a Gemini. So we had Callie, Kara, and Joyce, uh, Ian's mom, as uh, an Aquarius, a Libra, and a Gemini. Then we had me, Callie's boyfriend, Ian, uh, as an Aries. Callie's boyfriend, Ian, is Sagittarius. And Kara's boyfriend is a Leo. So we literally had, like, all of the air signs and all of the fire signs. And that's the only people that were there at Christmas. So explosive. Uh, so explosive. And we, and of course, as the Aries, I was the one at the end of dinner that got out the bottle of whiskey and poured everyone a shot, which they all took, you know. Um, yeah. I mean, that's, that. the, that's the Aries mood just starting something off. Right. You know, it's like uh, we, we're definitely the fun part of the zodiac the fun axes of the zodiac yeah um but no they're all fun they're all fun but okay but since we know our breezy friends are such good sports uh, i thought i'd start with something light and fun for us and the listeners at home so if you want to write in on instagram uh or you know some of you guys have me on just regular old facebook messenger just let me know what your answer to this question is uh Bang, Mary, kill, Aquarius, Gemini, Libra. I'm gonna let you. An- I'm gonna let you answer off the cuff, Shannon, because you okay. did not. You did not know this question was coming. I mean, I would have to say Mary Aquarius because my partner has an Aquarius moon, but I also just like love Aquarian people. Uh, kill Gemini because I have had experiences with Gemini's and like. Bang a Libra because I could never fucking date a Libra, especially a Libra man. Like Libra women are hot. I'm like, I could have a fling with a Libra woman. Oh, yeah. But like, I definitely, I'd fuck a Libra, but I couldn't marry one. But I don't dislike them enough to like actually kill them. And I do, disclaimer, like actually love Geminis. But out of these three, I would definitely fucking off a Gemini. Uh, okay. So I think for me personally, I think... Um, we we have we have two that are switched uh, between our answers and one that is the same. Um, I think Gemini is the obvious choice for the bang 
because they're a bit kooky and like a lot unexpected. True. So I would think, you know, um, you'd probably learn something in bed from a Gemini. That's fair. That's fair. Um, and then, and you guys are going to have to hear me out on my Mary choice because it also comes down to the fact that even though I am friends with so many femme humans with Libra placements, male Libras just are not it. And I am a gay man. So I would choose to marry Aquarius. Um, and there's a certain practicality there. My, my Virgo rising is like, oh, yes, marry the Aquarius. Um, yeah, can we just take a moment to say, has anyone ever met a good like Libra dude? I mean, my friend Jaden is a Libra and is kind of like, kind of like the textbook Libra dude. But, you know, it's like in a way he handles it well. I think, you know, it's like I, but he's, I mean, he knows uh, that, that he's living up to some of those bad stereotypes. So, yeah, I mean, that's fair. I just, if I meet a man and he's like a Libra, I'm immediately like all of the guards are up. I'm just like, hmm, going to be sus until proven otherwise. And I have yet to be proven otherwise, personally. But yeah, I mean, Aquarius dudes, I think, I personally have met cool Aquarius dudes that are just like fucking awesome. Of course, I do love Aquarius women as well as friends, but sometimes Aquarius dudes can be a little pretentious, but like, I think I could keep that in check more than yeah, I with, think a, with a Libra. Yeah, as someone who's married to like a Capricorn with an Aquarius moon, and Eric and I both have very strong moon placements. Yeah. The pretense is there for sure. But I do think that you're like Virgo sensibilities also like revel in that. Like the Wes Anderson part of you mm -hmm. thinks it's hot. That they no, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> it's like, oh, you can see details. Ooh, tell me more about how French New Wave is really the only cinema worth watching. I mean, and you're not wrong. Okay, but <laughs> um, okay, but but so so now that we've got that, you guys want to be Airbenders like from TV's Avatar, no? Uh, how do? And air is literally everywhere, but also the most intangible of all of the elements. So, like, if we wanted to represent water in a working, we can simply decant some water into a small bowl or cup and that's very easy to do um there's a nice jar of water right there uh for example uh for earth i mean like anything from dirt to wood to stones to metals can be powerful totems of the earth element uh and then fire obviously candles bonfires smoldering incense the sun uh and then there's air, the wicked stepchild of the elements. And this is where we have to start being a little more symbolic because we do not live in the vacuum of space and air is all around us all the time, uh, always. Um, and so we're, we're a little less literal. We're, we're looking at things like feathers, smoke, wind chimes, hanging bells. Flowers and petals, I think it's a natural association, also a very old one. You know, people back in the day were not quite sure on the science of it, but they knew that there was something to do with flowers reproducing and the wind. Uh, 
And, you know, so it's like flowers traditionally. Also, you know, it's like, have you ever seen flowers blowing in a gentle breeze? Oh my God. Cherry blossoms in a breeze. Like literally flowers, I think, do very good work with breezes. And it's just- There's uh, there's a reason flowers also get thrown at like wedding exits. Like- Yeah, so we're, we're here, we're here for that, that- air energy but it's also it's like you wouldn't necessarily expect it like you have to conceptualize the idea of air to arrive at this idea that like flowers are such a good representation of air um but you know it's like i also like uh hand fans as like a good a good representation of air uh but you do you have to get a little bit creative but i think that's really like no problem at all for people with prominent air placements, uh, because one of the big associations with the air element is like thoughts and thinking and intellectualism. And each air sign gets like major bonus points for creativity from each of their ruling planets as well. So like Libra gets this strong sense of aesthetics and like a great heightened emotional sense from Venus. Uh, Gemini gets this amazing ability to communicate and like free associate with ideas from Mercury. And lastly, but not leastly, you have Aquarius getting like a hit of quirkiness, originality and delightful weirdness from Uranus, uh, which is their modern planetary ruler. Uh, You know, they did used to be ruled by Saturn, uh, kind of going back into the Comfrey thing. Um, so that's like traditional astrology, but modern astrology, we say, um, they were ruled by Uranus. Uh, so. Yeah. I, I do love looking at like the traditional and the modern, because I think that you get a very different flavor of Aquarius. If you look yeah. at it with Saturn, cause it's like Gemini, I think I get Gemini makes sense to me as Mercury because like Virgo is also ruled by Mercury. And I feel mm-hmm. like they're very different aspects to that mercurial like energy. Yes. But I do think that signs like Aquarius and Scorpio that have like multiple, like the modern and the, you know, more. the tra- and, Yeah. The, the traditional, traditional. Yeah. It's really interesting. I think to think about like the duality there and how like Saturn looks very different between yeah, like, Saturn, Capricorn and Aquarius. S- yes. Yeah, Saturn. C- yes. Uh, I feel I feel like we we look at Capricorn very much as this Saturnian sign, but yeah. I feel like Aquarius is kind of like the other side of that. Yeah, yeah, it's like because <laughs> it's structure, but it's also expansive, and that's the thing that I feel like is so Aquarian about it is that like idea of expansion and like what the fuck is out on the horizon, alien people. Aquarians are aliens. Aquarians love talking about aliens too. Like every Aquarius that I know will sit there and talk to you for hours about UFOs and aliens. And, um, but, but anyway, and and that's that Uranus energy and they're creative, but like needless to say, creativity and thinking on your feet are going to be part of it when working with air. Yeah. Uh, But everything I've said so far is really just like scratching the surface. And what I really wanted to do with this segment is maybe look at this topic from some fresh angles and hopefully make a case for why air deserves its place at the table with the other elements. You know, everyone thinks fire is so cool and water is so like deep and empathetic. And then you look at earth as having this incredible like grounding and practicality and structure. And then you've got air and like who 
thinks air is cool. Like you just don't see which is out there really hyping up air. And I'm like, we've been, we've been sleeping. We've been sleeping on the air element. I think a good place to start with my for your consideration campaign for air uh, is this fun little fact. In both the Greek and Roman pantheons, the kings of the gods were sky gods. Zeus and Jupiter, who are both very problematic, are still badasses in their own stories. And both are essentially omnipotent as well uh, in their own times. So I think that's like score one for, for air signs. Like all of the first major organized religious systems in the world worship some kind of sky creator god. Um, and then, you know, if you look at like Odin and Thor, like storm imagery is like al- almost always somewhere near the top. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, anyone who has been in a storm, i.e. most humans, it's like very understandable how that like ranks pretty high up there. And, you know, like speaking of Zeus and Odin and Thor and Jupiter, I think it's arguable that the most powerful and inspiring like mythological use of air magic is summoning and controlling storms and winds. And I think that is like a raw powerful and like fully tangible example of how powerful air can be yeah uh and like very elemental and before we move on from wind i think a fun etymology lesson for everyone uh auras so i think just saying it out loud aura we can kind of hear the airiness of it and that is not an accident so aura initially meant a light breeze and was co-opted as a term for the energetic being of a living creature uh, by, oh gosh, and I'm this is bad podcasting, but it was some like late 1800s spirituality guy. I don't know off the top of my head. I can no, no, I'm not asking. I'm not asking you to say off the top of your head, but you know, there's so many guys like that. And actually, right. I know this particular one that I'm talking about was kind of shitty because he basically just like repackaged a bunch of stuff from India. Uh, including chakras um, as like his own thing that he came up with. So, gosh. but anywho, we're talking about uh, auras. So um, aura initially meant a light breeze. And uh, this particular rabbit hole, I do think helps to more clearly, clearly define air as like more than just like breezes and clouds and like wisps of smoke and stuff. Um, So in the same way that water has this strong association with like emotions and feelings and like empathy, air is associated with like thoughts and ideas and in a lot of traditions, telepathy and prophecy. Uh, And, and And technology, the technology connection to air is insane. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, it's like, it's logic. Yeah. It's data. Uh, So like in, this classical elemental sorting system, like thoughts and data, are a are seen as like a kind of air, something intangible, yet very, very real yeah. and very important and very powerful. But, you know, it's like ideas. You can't you can't hold an idea in your hand just like you can't hold the wind in your hand. No, but it's uh, like the thing that I love about that. And sorry to tangent. It is a very airy episode is it's like oh, yeah. ideas and like the understanding of who we are, like the things that make humans 
sentient are associated with air. Well, like and then you consciousness and awareness. And you have to think of this idea too of like the breath of life. So in yeah. a lot of creation stories, like humanity or like the first human, like the proto-human, and regardless of like where you're looking, but like, you know, like let's just say Adam and Eve get that breath, that life breathed into them. So there's this understanding that without breath, there is no life. Yeah. Uh huh. So it's like air as the basis for being alive has a very strong case as well. Yeah. Um, and, you know, all of the blood in your body is basically just to carry oxygen to your tissue. Well, I mean, they say it's like if you condensed all of the cells in your body by removing all of the space between them, i.e. air, yeah. it would like fit in a thimble. Right. So you're basically a balloon with anxiety. We're, yeah, we're a balloon. We're a meat balloon with anxiety. Uh, which yeah. is such a which is sounds like something an Aquarius would say. So we're we're getting into the groove here. Um, but I, you, but you're just like the idea of like air as thoughts is not that far fetched or thoughts being a kind of air. Uh, if you just kind of think of like the perspective they were coming from. Yeah, I mean, and even literally because thoughts are like electrical signals mm-hmm. through the brain and, and your brain like, would die if you stopped getting oxygen like yeah it, do, it, it really doesn't take that long that's why sleeper holds work yeah and and that's why to me i always like electricity is such an air yeah 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 thing. so anyway yeah air we have been sleeping on air we have been sleeping on air and electricity zeus sky god hello yeah. air it's air it's all air, people. It's fucking air. Okay, but we're going to pivot now because this is the air, this is the intro to air magic and we're all fucking over the place. But obviously the link with telepathy and air deserves a little more digging, I think. So one practice that I read about during this research, which really just reeked of like air energy And it also gives me an opportunity to share like a very strong feeling that I personally have, uh, which is that I'm obsessed with gentle breezes. And every time I'm outside and I I feel a gentle breeze, I feel comforted. I feel a little euphoric and like bonus points if it's like warm, Mm. you know, like a warm breeze. Like, you know, when you're going on like a hike and you like can feel like the warm air like coming off the rocks and you just feel it like like blowing through your hair and I don't it's good I personally am a fan of the cool ocean breeze that's my favorite kind of also breeze. also a great breeze there's so many but it's there's like so I, good breezes. there's so many good breezes um uh, and the idea is basically that if you are a witch that already has a strong meditation practice or otherwise has like a sensitivity to energies and hidden information which is like very big air energy the idea is basically to keep a journal you know something like you would do with faces of the moon which we've talked about extensively and like you guys know i love a writing writing stuff writing it down moment so taking note of your interactions with the wind um like do you feel a breeze when you're thinking about something specific uh, which direction is it coming from? Temperature? Is it cool? Is it warm? Is it a wet breeze blowing in from the sea, perhaps? Um, but then also seeing if you're receiving 
any messages or feelings while the wind is blowing on you. And this comes from a common European folk magic belief that wind and breezes can act as a kind of like spiritual Bluetooth carrying messages and data from like ancestors and guiding spirits which really does feel like some air sign energy. Like you're literally like downloading information from the wind. Yeah. I mean, it's like, there's that common colloquialism, like we'll see which way the wind blows. Right. And that kind of, you know, that, that idea of prophecy too, that people who were in tune with this kind of energy would be getting hidden information and like more in tune to the truth uh and i just i thought i thought it was really cool and i was like i feel something when 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 i get the wind going like i hate i hate to like bring up this movie but I, it almost feels like like a pocahontas moment you know yeah can you Which, paint with all the colors of the wind? It's like we used to do a drinking game with our vhs copy of pocahontas where it's like every time her hair blows majestically in the wind that is one of the times you have to drink um oh so it was a hangover recipe Oh yeah, for sure. Well, you know, I, I do like to drink, but, um, but no, it's like, but you do, it's like, honestly, very problematic story, but the the feeling of like having your hair blowing in the breeze, I'm like, it's, it's magical. It's like truly, it's a vibe euphoria inducing. So I'm like, I, I'm like, yes, I will like, I'm like, I want to know what the wind has to say to me personally. So I'm like, please come through yeah um big pivot time we're pivoting again keep up people but you probably were not asking yourself why air is associated with octagons but admit it now that i've brought it up you're probably a little curious very curious uh so yeah what the fuck does octagons have to do with anything and the octagon thing comes to us basically from the shape of the compass rose so i mean for people who don't know it's that pointy thing in the corner of the map and it's north south east west uh but then also northwest southeast blah 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 it's an octagon shape uh because you know they really only officially recognize like eight directions so the compass rose is shaped like a fucking octagon uh which would be a cool fun fact in and of itself but the greeks had a belief in spirits called the animoi who were the embodiments of the cardinal winds. And later on, they also uh, paid homage. Oh my God, paid homage. I don't know why. Uh, you got real French with it. Homage. Homage. Uh, <laughs> paid homage to the, uh, the, the intermediate winds as well. Uh, and each spirit had its own vibe, much like our lovely air sign friends. So you had Boreas like Aurora Borealis, if you will. Um, so Boreas, the spirit of the wintry, stormy, blustery north winds. Mm. Uh, and keep in mind, the, the winds are coming from these directions, not blowing yeah. towards. So notice the spirit of the summery, you know, uh, almost kind of like dry, dusty south winds blowing in from the Sahara Desert, if you're in Greece. Eurus who ruled over the winds from the east, uh, and those winds would typically bring in rain and are associated with autumny weather, so like cooling down, going into winter. Uh, and then the coolest one, right? 
uh, Zephyr, the spirit of the warm, gentle western winds that would blow in spring and blow away winter. And Zephyr is also also notable as a personal fertility god favored by many Greeks because of his association with the lushness and fertility of springtime. Uh, So, you know, it's like also Zephyr or Zephyrus, if you're nasty, was seen as the kindest of the animoi and therefore like a top recommendation for witches out there who would like to try working with an air deity. Now, this is not like a full deity profile, uh, but we're name dropping. If you're interested, Zephyr, uh, I feel, is the way to go. But also, Zephyr is sometimes used as a colloquial term for like any air elemental spirit. Uh, And I I just, I think it's a cool word. It starts with the letter Z. You don't get a lot of those. So it's cool. It's got a like a certain je ne sais quoi about it. Oh yeah. And I'm like, it's a cool word. So I'm like, Zephyrs to me is what I would be using to describe uh, an air, a generic air spirit. Yeah, that's a Zephyr. So sorry, trademarking it. But I do feel like a lot of times we kind of look at these mythological characters from ancient pantheons and we realize that they're like characters in in other gods, like they're characters in the stories of the gods that people actually worshipped and are not actually like deified in their own right. They're just like part of the story. Um, But actually the animal had a temple uh, and they were not just pop culture characters so to this day and it's still standing to this day you can go to athens greece and visit the tower of the winds is the name of it so um which sound already sounds like a very cool place right Uh, and but even cooler than that even cooler than the name uh i i think this would be especially interesting uh to you know architecture people um architect architects have to get creative when they think about how to use air in their craft so much because you can take something like if you look at a cathedral you can take something like stone and make it feel light and airy yeah also the the magic that they can do with things like acoustics mm -hmm. because like acoustics are like choral like choral music and acoustics first of all like such big air vibes thinking about music oh my god yeah it's like music is dancing air music is dancing air but also I remember when I was in choir like we were at a competition one year and like because of the design of the auditorium our director like literally made them stop and pull the risers two feet forward because she was like everyone's going to go flat because of the way the acoustics are, if we don't move the risers forward, so you're like in a different spot in the space. Like it's remarkable what an impact architectural design can have on sound and air. And, and air, which actually kind of before we move on though, I'm like shout out to Woodwind Instruments for actually invoking yeah. an airy feeling, the sound they make. Like, could anything be airier than a flute? Yeah. I mean, before we go on to, I did just have to like say the Santa Ana winds are back and I've never been so aware of winds 
as I have been living in Southern California, the Santa Ana winds typically blow in, they blow in from the east, but they're really coming from like the north. They're like downhill winds, but they like affect people's behavior in the oddest ways too. There's like weird crime spikes and stuff around the Santa Mm. Ana winds. It also brings in like, like the humidity drops. It was like 11% humidity the other night. Like when the Santa Ana's are in is when we get like that staticky, like low humidity, but when you have like a place that has certain winds that come in and I'd never had this before because I'd never lived anywhere where there were like winds that you had to watch out for, Mm -hmm. but they really do affect people's behavior. I would say as much, if not maybe more noticeably than the moon, like with full moons, it's really intense. Again, we've been sleeping on air. We have been not in the good way, like floating on air. No, we've been ignoring air far too long. Yeah. Far to law. But we're talking about the Tower of the Winds. Uh, there's a lot of churches kind of circling back around. There's a lot of churches uh, in Europe and even one here in the States uh, that is based on the Tower of the Winds. So architects, architecture people, you do not have to go all the way to Athens, Greece. Um, there might be one near you. And actually, it was there was a, an architect, uh, uh, like a public works architect, who built a couple of observatories, like space observatories, that were based on the Tower of the Winds. Um, And Edwin Hubble, aka the guy the Hubble Space Telescope, is named after Edwin Hubble because he discovered that the universe was in fact expanding. He's uh, kind of a big deal. uh, In an observatory based on what? The Tower of the Winds. So oh there's this God. there's this whole like wind cult in in the scientific community apparently. So what is the Tower of the Winds? So obviously it's a temple to the Animoi, and it was very important for sailors and merchants and other travelers who relied on the wind to get them safely around the seas. Okay, and so devotees of these spirits also performed some very cool air magic doing the, the tying the knots and trapping favorable winds in cloth bags so that they could be released by loosening up the knot by the sailors when they were out at sea, uh, which was described. I love the way they would describe these charms as being something that worked. And like, it's not presented as like a fanciful tale. Like you could, if you were a sailor, if you were the captain of the boat, you were almost expected to buy some wind knots. Do your fucking part. Do your fucking part. So a a lucrative business too. But I think that's like another cool example of some like ancient air magic is like tying, tying the wind into knots using like knot magic. Um, So... We will be actually covering that a little bit more in our upcoming Sea Shanty episode. So y'all are just going to have to wait for more y'all, of that. We're going to be yo-hoing all We're, over we're literally going to be yo-ho-hoing. Um, <laughs> but the Tower of the Winds was also one of the first scientific observatories. It included a weather vane shaped like the sea god Triton a sundial, which uh, they claim it was the first public clock tower because it had the sundial and they would have a guy ring the bell on the hour. So 
you know. And then there was a, an observatory as well for like star charting um, and like mapping out the planet. So it was like the first like scientific observatory. Yeah. M- maybe in the world. There's a, some pretty reasonable claims that that is true. And I, as far as, and it's still standing. Amazing. That's so um, cool. And it is shaped like an octagon. Oh, did I not mention that it was shaped like an octagon? Because it wow. was shaped like an octagon. Because octagons uh, represent the wind, apparently. So um, before we leave the Tower of the Winds, I do just have to say I gave it a Google. Edwin Hubble was a Sagittarius associated with the centaur. Love that. Oh, my who God. Who discovered that the universe was expanding. Uh-huh. And then they named a fucking telescope. It's like... Anyway, sorry. And he was in an observatory. Yeah. He was in an observatory that architecturally was based on the Tower of the Winds. So take that science. Astrology is part of what you do. So sorry to break it to you. Anyway. But but the navigation at sea thing is important to the story of air and its associations because I feel like it symbolizes a great deal of air's power and strength. So like air is associated with facts and truth and intellectual ideals, which can help us navigate through life. So this symbolism of like navigating is really sticking out to me. And then there's like the whole thing that like the, the OG air spirits were based on the compass rose So I do feel like calling on air energy for assistance in making good choices, which kind of goes back to that whole like information from ancestors and guardian spirits coming to you through the wind. Oh my God. I love the idea of making a pendulum using an arrow on the end of it. Love that. Yes. Arrows, arrows have big air vibes because, you know, it's like an arrow would literally not shoot straight if you were not thinking about the air. Uh, it's, I mean, you know, that's yeah. why they have feathers on them. It's a stabilizer. Uh, all right. But you guys, we're, we're calling on air to make good choices. We're, we want to, you know, we have to be, we have to always remind ourselves to be open to the truth because sometimes it's comfortable to believe in things, make us comfortable, but they're not true. And like, and what would an Aquarius do? They want, they would want to know the truth. And that's, you know, it's like, I feel like this is in Era's wheelhouse. It's like, you should, you should want, you should remind yourself that you want to know the truth. I, I want to know the truth. I want to live, I want to live in a world of truth. And I feel like I would call on air energy to bring that energy into my life. And so we're, we're pivoting again, because this is, this is about air. Pivot. And so we're going to take a weird side path because after talking about the Tower of the Winds and some of Air's, you know, sort of like lesser known attributes, I've realized that there is a place that I suspect to be strongly influenced by Air spirits. I have come to this conclusion myself. This is a rumor that I would like to spread into the universe. Uh, The fucking Netherlands has got to be secretly ruled by air spirits and i will tell you why the country is full of windmills a truly insane number of which are octagonal in shape that's one of the traditional shapes of windmills did you know that shannon it goes all the way to the top my friend all the way to the top of the netherlands 
Um, it's an air conspiracy. It's and I literally love it. an air conspiracy. Okay, but and I'm not mad. The Dutch are widely regarded as one of the top sailing cultures of all time because they reached their peak as a world power during the peak of sailing as a technology. And they harness wind power to make their country exist. Yeah. Because, because that's, how, that's what the windmills do. They pump the water out of the ground because it used to be under the ocean. So no wind, no Netherlands. Uh, and they made a whole country out of it. Um, okay, but there's more. There's literally more. Oh, my God. Their economy is largely based on flowers. Dutch tulips are the thing. Dutch tulips are the thing. Um, and then the cherry on top, the country of the Netherlands, is based on, like, peak enlightenment ideals. Sex work is legal. Drugs are legal. Very, very, very democratic uh, form of government. Um, and it's just insane to me, like, they have this immaculate reputation for being one of the most liberal places in the world, which I think highlights the intellectual aura of the air element remarkably well. So this is my, this is my conspiracy, that the Netherlands is um, ruled by air spirits. Perhaps the people from there are air spirits. And they, you know, one of the first places in the world to legalize weed, so. I just, like... Have we been sleeping on air or was it all just taken to the Netherlands? All of the air energy in the world is currently concentrated in the Netherlands. And we have, wow. to, we have to get it back so that things can return to their proper balance. Maybe that's why shit's so out of whack. Did you ever think about that? It's because the Netherlands is hogging all, all of that. Air energy. All of the air energy. Okay, pass some this way. Puff, puff, pass. Puff, puff, pass. Thank you very much, Netherlands. Um, but okay. But did I mention the fucking octagonal windmills all over the goddamn place? It's weird. Uh, make it make sense. One place should not have that much air energy. But what about you guys at home um, who you know don't live in the Netherlands, apparently? Uh, what can you do to bring some air energy into your craft? And I feel like I do want to stray from the obvious ones here because I feel like any old witch could come on here and say wind chimes. Well, guess what? I love wind chimes. I love yeah. bamboo wind chimes. I like the noise they make. Okay. And I think, yeah, they would be really fucking cool if you need something to represent air in a spell that you're casting. But you already knew that. But We're you, not here to tell you what you know. But you already knew that. It's too obvious. So obviously octagons, the unexpected, the surprise hit of the, the air nation, octagons, uh, compasses. Okay, think about it. Do the math. All right. Knots. I think a rope with knots is great. Uh, flowers, obviously, uh, maybe not the one you were expecting, but flowers. Uh, anything with wings, I think, you know, like that's another obvious one. Uh, I was thinking, you know, like discarded butterfly wings would make a great thing to put on your altar or in a casting to represent the air element. Um, because I do just, I just love butterflies too. Yeah. Um, and they leave behind such pretty corpses and, um, I, I, anything scented. 
So a big thing for like making the air more tangible is sense. And that has been a long held association, even predating the Greeks. The Egyptians would burn resin incense uh, as representations of air elements. Um, this is like very, very old hat, so to speak. But um, I, obviously anything sky blue, which is, you know, there's a lot of lovely flowers out there that are sky blue. So that'd be kind of like a double. There's tulip species out there that are sky blue, uh, some of the more valuable ones, actually, uh, because blue is a rarer color for tulips. Um, so it's actually the rarest color for flowers, period. But and it, uh, yeah. during during the, the tulip craze, uh, the Dutch tulip craze of the 17th century, uh, one of the highest auction tulips ever was uh, a beautiful tulip that apparently uh, faded from like a sky blue to a white, which does sound big air energy. So, you know, if you're in the Netherlands and you live in a windmill and your life is already full of wind energy, you know, maybe you could become the king of air. You could also you, send us some tulip bulbs. You please. could also totally send us some tulip bulbs. But okay, balloons. I think, you know, that's one where it kind of, it's like obvious, but like, I didn't really think about it. Um, either. But balloons, which led me to cotton balls. Cotton balls are more air than substance as well. Speaking of uh, us being a balloon with anxiety, uh, but right. cotton balls, um, they also kind of look like clouds. Yeah. Like, I, you know. I was also thinking like, watches like pocket watches this idea of like intellectualizing things being air and it's like what is more intellectualized and created by humans than the concept of time the concept of time uh i also i I mean i like the pocket watch too i i'm sure there's a pocket watch i'm sure someone makes a pocket watch out there that's a combo pocket watch and a compass yeah, they probably also live in a fucking windmill and are the air king of the Netherlands. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, but I, I think loose flower petals really have like yeah. like a very airy energy. You know, like anything you could like sprinkle like this and have it blow in the wind yeah. in a nice way. Oh, and I think okay, incense smoke. That's a that's another obvious yeah. one. Incense smoke. But I think uh, here's a fun fact though. Traditionally, yellow was the color assigned to air because blue was already taken by water. Um, people also think gray and white is kind of the consensus from the internet about color associations with the air element. I also, uh, I'm feeling lilac because amethyst, um, what, yeah. you know, it's like- I mean, could, I'm really just feeling like pastels. Pastels, like, yes. Like, like air was kind of associated with springtime with the zephyr and- it's it is like pastels kind of make me think of like springtime as well. Yeah. But also pastel on white feels appropriate. Oh yeah. Yeah. For some reason. I'm thinking of this like tablecloth my mom used to have actually that was like pastel. It was supposed to be like flowers, but like they were they were smudgy. They were like mm. impressionist flowers. I it was, I don't know, they, they don't make stuff in that pattern anymore, but it was like light teal and like hot pink on white mm. but like pastel sounds very of a time very of a time yes um okay but traditionally yellow was assigned to air um i think it's also worth noting alter and representation wise that in medieval alchemy air was seen as having warm and moist qualities so 
blood was the humor associated with air energy. Um, so if you look at some really, really old, old, old antiqu- antiquated shit, uh, you see blood come up a lot as something that they would use to represent air. Um, Cute. But, uh, but then I was thinking about it, and the fact that your blood changes color when it's exposed to air yeah is also kind of like i don't know it's um it's a mood it's like it's like another reason that blood and air kind of makes sense actually yeah but okay i also feel like since i have unilaterally decided that the netherlands is the airiest place in the world a wooden clog Uh, putting i am putting on the list of things for your for your air altar uh but to all of you witches that work with the fae know that the fae traditionally work well with and represent airy energies and on that note i think soap bubbles Mm. are a great way to give form to air i also feel like the fae would love soap bubbles and i i feel like there's some untapped potential in soap bubbles because we think of them, you know, as like a fun thing that you would do as a kid, but I'm like, it really is such a good representation of air. And I feel like there's some untapped potential there for spell work as well. I'm picturing sort of like blowing your problems away in bubbles or like setting up a bubble machine for like a festive air themed working or ritual it it makes me think of um like for magic how fun would it be to use like the giant bubble wands in like a group ritual right yes yeah yes so i'm like bubbles there's something so playful about the air element there is and i'm like you know i i feel like there's just something like where i'm like bubbles feels right yeah and I, I just, I, I can't say more. It's like the thing with the wind. It's like, I can't tell you why. I literally cannot tell you why. I feel euphoric when I feel the wind on me, but I do. And um, when I think of bubbles, first of all, I'm delighted. But second, because I'm a baby. And uh, well, I'd like to say that anyone who's not delighted when they think of bubbles might be dead inside. <laughs> they, you might be dead inside. Um, bubble dreams. Um, Pop the heart seams on my bubble dreams, bubble dreams. Right. I mean, oh, Lady Goo Goo. But no, so we're we're kind of at the end here. Uh, But I think a final note and, you know, like maybe this is something that blew into my ear while I was uh, having my my final uh, smoke break of my writing session. But I was like, I, I feel like you, if you want to work with, with air elementals or zephyrs or if you live in the Netherlands and you're aspiring to be the king of air, don't keep birds that can fly as pets. You know, because I was thinking about, it's like, I almost was going to say in this, I was like, oh, you know, it's like feathers is obviously good, especially if you have like pet birds. And then I just like have this little voice in the back of my head that was like, you know what you should say? You shouldn't be keeping birds that can fly as pets because like that's what makes birds cool is that they're free and they yeah. can fly. Oh God, what was the name of that play that, were you in that play with me in high school, the cage birds? Oh, uh, what is it? Why the cage bird sings or? Something along those lines. I was. I think that's play. a book. Yeah, no, it's a play that has something about the caged birds, though. That was really beautiful. I was not was, in like, that really with you. Sad. 
I think yeah, it's no. all women. It might no, all yeah, women. it is really sad. It's it's kind of sad, like thinking about like a bird that could fly in the sky, like trapped in a cage. Wow. So I don't know. I don't like it, and that's where I'm ending things because this yeah. is a this is, you know. Well, on that note. On that well, note, we're gonna take a quick break to do our plugs. So, oh, yeah. um. Right now, we're running what Patreon calls a special. If you join at the $5 or more level before February 1, you will get a handwritten postcard from either Nick or myself. And if you are currently a member at that level or above, just send us your address and you'll also get a handwritten postcard. We love you guys. We're not going to like dick you over because you joined soon. Like, no. Um, But yeah, join before then. And you can do that by going to patreon.com slash wands and fronds pod as benefits. You get things like uh, video recordings, which are usually released before the audio recordings are released to the public on Wednesdays. Um, You'll also get bonus episodes. As a side note, we are going to be late getting y'all our bonus episode for January. We had an interview lined up and then COVID interfered. So sorry about that. Y'all get to in February um yeah so lots of goodies you get to have a fun little community we do things like group rituals for coven meetings it's a good time um also if you want to help the podcast the best thing you can do for us that costs no money is to rate review and subscribe whatever podcast app you listen to give us give us five stars give us 30 stars write a little review tell everybody that you love us um download the episode that's another really big one And one that hasn't been taken advantage of, if you're listening on your cell phone, screenshot it and tag us and post it on Instagram. You can tag us at Wands and Fronts Pod and Nick will give you a one card tarot reading. Guys, I'm going to give you a free tarot reading. Also, I'm just like, I would, would, for any of y'all out there listening, I would gladly put you on my Instagram. So how do you feel knowing that you are uh, just making this a one-sided friendship. Yeah, we're here for y'all. We're here for you. So anyway, so you can message us, reach out to us on Instagram at Wands and Fronts Pod. Um, you can email us at wandsandfrontspod at gmail.com. I also just announced on February 26th, I'm going to be offering my next workshop, which is going to be about gardening and crafting herbal remedies with the moon. And listeners to this podcast can use the code wands and fronds for 15% off of everything that you can buy, like through my website. Um, and members of the Patreon have a code for 30% off. That's going to be coming their way. So oh shit. Another good bonus. Anyway, I think that's all we have to plug. Do we have I, we don't have anything else to plug, although, um, you know, just kind of circling back around our Instagram is at wands and fronds pod. And um, if you want to let us know if you want to bang, marry, or kill Aquarius, Gemini, Libra, uh, we I will probably also post that on on our Instagram story. Yeah, so. I'd love to know the results of this. I'm very curious because obviously Nick and I are pretty similar in our reaction. So I'd love to. I want to hear someone argue with us about why. We- I, I, yeah, I want your I want your argument for marrying Gemini. I'd love to know. Um, we should have one of my mom's ex-husbands on the phone. Right. Uh, uh, on that note, so <laughs> Prometheus. So since Prometheus is obviously super heavily associated with fire, you may be wondering, why am I covering him during an episode where Nick is giving us so much wonderful background on air magic? And I have a very good answer. 
because Prometheus represents human striving and particularly the human quest for scientific knowledge. Big air energy, right? Like big air energy. So who is this guy, right? Today, I'm going to focus on the most well-known Prometheus tale, as far as I can tell, at least. And that's the story depicted in Prometheus Bound by Aeschylus or Aeschylus. I never know how to say these old Greek names, y'all. Sorry. And this is the first of at least two and possibly three plays written between 479 and 424 BC. But the first is the most well-known of the plays. And before the play starts, Kronos, i.e. the ruler of the Titans, has been overthrown by Zeus and the Olympian gods. And Prometheus, even though he's a Titan, sided with Zeus in the war to overthrow the Titans. But we all know. Old Zeusy boy is going to Zeus, right? And after the war, Zeus was like, cool, so the Titans are out of here. Now I'm also going to destroy and replace all humans. Bad news for humans. Bad news for humans. So Prometheus is like, nah, man, that's not the move. Uh, so basically to flip the bird to Zeus and all of his human murdering bullshit, Prometheus steals fire from Mount Olympus and brings it to the humans, which really like levels the species up. And while he's at it, uh, Prometheus also teaches people about the arts. What a champ. Uh, but Zeus is not pleased. And we all know how he behaves when he's unhappy. So even though Prometheus was pivotal in the victory Zeus had just celebrated over the Titans, uh, he's dealt a really, really, really shitty punishment. So for the appalling act of rescuing mankind from annihilation, Prometheus is shackled to a mountain where his liver is repeatedly eaten by an eagle because the eagle will eat it, it'll regenerate, and then the eagle eats it again over and over and over. So Prometheus that, uh is it who's the dude that that rolls the rock up the hill for Sisyphus? all eternity? Yeah. It's like they really knew how to come up with those creative eternal punishments back yeah. in ancient Greece. Not cool. Um <laughs> so this is where we see the play, right? We like Prometheus is chained to a mountain. Then Oceanus enters in a carriage drawn by a griffin, and he's heard about the situation. He wants to come and offer a little advice and maybe a little bit of assistance. Prometheus, though, isn't super excited about this and feels a little condescended to. But Oceanus, even though he's definitely annoyed, offers to leave only after Prometheus convinces him that if he intervenes, it's only going to make Prometheus's punishment worse. Basically, he's like, dude, if you fucking like try to get involved here, Zeus is just going to fuck me up even harder. So Oceanus is like, Ugh, fine, and leaves. So he fucks off. And once again, it's just a chorus, right? We're left with a chorus of Oceanus's daughters. So because they had heard the sound of like, Prometheus being like bound to the mountain all the way down in their deep sea caves. They like come and they hover in the air above him, right? They're hovering above the chain Titan. And he says he has a secret that will eventually give him power over Zeus. And the daughters think he's just lashing out because he's pissed off, but he invites them to have a seat and eventually they do so and become a sweet little audience, right? So now We've got Oceanus's daughters here. Prometheus starts talking about all the great things he's done for humans, right? He's like, let me take it back all the way to the beginning. And so in this so-called catalog of the arts that he's taught men about, it includes things 
that are considered civilizing arts, quote unquote, things like writing, medicine, mathematics, astrology, metallurgy, architecture, agriculture, just a few things. And he tells the girls, he's like, look, eventually I'm going to be unchained, but it's not going to be by Zeus. Bum, bum, bum. Now, stage left, enters Io. Io is the daughter of Anakis, king of Argos, and she's the one that Zeus got horny for. And when Zeus was lusting after her, Hera got pissed and turned her into a cow. Remember that story? Mm. I'll link to our Hera episode so you guys can like catch up because I definitely talk about Io there. So um, <laughs> now after some more woes, basically Io arrives here, right? And Prometheus knows all about her story because apparently gossip travels in Olympus as fast as it does on Earth. And this is where we learn through some conversation between the players that Prometheus will eventually be freed by descendants of Io. So he tells her that her wanderings will end at the mouth of the Nile, where Zeus will restore her. She'll go on to give birth to a son named Apaphus, who will father 50 daughters, who plot twist will all murder their husbands, except for one daughter who will bear a line of kings and a son who will rec rescue Prometheus. That son, who isn't named in the play, is Heracles. Prometheus goes on about how Zeus's reign won't last forever, no matter how great he is. And the chorus is like, um, Prometheus, chill dude, he's going to hear you, calm down. So, of course, them saying that means Zeus has already overheard, right? And he sends Hermes down to get the deets on this whole situation that's like threatening Zeus. He's like, wait, what, is, what the fuck you're saying that there's going to be like um, some marriages and some like murdering of husbands and then I'm going to get overthrown? What's happening? And uh, Hermes also tells Prometheus all about the threats Zeus is making against him. He's like, yeah, man, Zeus is like, he's going to send an earthquake that's going to cause the mountain to crumble and bury you. And of course the liver munching evil is like, he's just really rubbing that one in. And Prometheus is like, nah, I know like Zeus is going to keep fucking me up, but I can endure it all. But then the end comes earthquake, dust storm, jagged lightning, whirlwind. And Prometheus has the last line of this play. Oh, holy mother mine. Oh, you firmament that revolves the common light of all. You see the wrongs I suffer. Prometheus vanishes along with the chorus. And in the sequel, Prometheus Unbound, we see him freed by Heracles. And then there's also Prometheus the Firebringer, but we only have like fragments of Prometheus the Firebringer and Prometheus Unbound. So like this, I feel like the whole concept of like Prometheus being chained to a rock, being tortured because he brought fire is like one of the thing, one of the stories about Prometheus that we're almost familiar with. And this is the play that it comes from. And I also just have to point out um, for the Christians, oh, holy mother mine, oh, you firmament that revolves the common light of all, you see the wrongs I suffer. Who does that remind you of with an important line on the cross? <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so <laughs> Prometheus is like a super homie to the human race, right? He has like big Osiris and Isis vibes too with the whole like teaching people how to not be like, cave people thing and he had a hell of a cult following in athens which totally makes sense but say you want to work with him in your in your practice right he is excellent in a lot of fields including things like knowledge and study being tricksy and like clever you know he like wouldn't let hermes get him to spill it uh he also like stole shit and gave it to humans like he's very like a little bit of trickster 
in it and also divination because he's talking about seeing the future with all of these things he's telling to like io and oceanus's daughters so to honor him of course fire uh he also though introduces sacrifice in another story about him so you could use objects that depict ox uh clay and ceramics could be great offerings or representations or anything handcrafted books and diagrams too i also think anything that you're intellectually passionate about and from what i can tell he actually seems to be like the most common titan to work with so there's a lot of like good online resources if you want to dig in more especially in like hellenic circles but yeah i think that like working with him in particular if you have like a big test coming up or if you like are studying for something like he'd be excellent for that also though like I love this idea of working with him for divinatory stuff because like reaching back to a Titan for divination feels like, I mean, I wouldn't do it for like any ask. I feel like that's a big, like this is for like a big divination thing. Yeah. But like, that seems like some power. I, I, I almost feel like, um, I, I'm, I'm like doing my yearly rewatch of Adventure Time, but it's like when Jake has to uh, ask the party god for the energy to go safe in. And he's like, yeah. well, in order to do it, I'm gonna have to fill you with the rage of a thousand partying uh, demons. And uh, it's like, yeah, you know, you kind of have to use that at the right time. Yeah, 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 no. I mean, like, you don't wanna like do this if like you're trying to figure out if like Joe's gonna ask you out. Like that's no. maybe not the time for this, no. but anyway, so that's that. I mean, Prometheus, I feel like there's a lot of stories about him, but the whole like he gave us fire thing is like the big one. And then was punished for it. And then was hella punished by fucking Zeus for it. So my sources today, greekmythology.com, Britannica, Wikipedia, theoi.com, and our good old friend Reddit. Well, you guys were here. It's the bitter end. And actually, so for this one, I knew I had to do Aquarius. Yeah. Um, because it is my friend Callie's birth week this week as well. Um, and you know, when it's it's it had to be Aquarius for this episode. So tis the season. Tis the season. Uh and for you guys, I drew the high priestess reversed, which actually it's like maybe y'all need some wind. And specifically, kind of what this card is telling me is that you're disconnected a little bit from that high priestess energy and you really need to like trust in your own core values there could be a lot going on around you right now that is distracting from what your your kind of like home base should be and like where you know you are centered just in your life you know it's like there's you maybe you feel a little unmoored right now but um but you should listen to what's already inside of you like you shouldn't be taking your your big life advice from other people like this is like a trust your gut moment which really does kind of like feel like what I was talking about in my segment where it's like you know it's like when you feel the wind and you like are you get these messages from like your ancestors or your guiding spirits or whatever like like you know like that's that's something that happens within you and it's like you know like you do have this incredible intuition you you Aquarius people out there. So trust it. Like trust your intuition. Like tap tap into that high priestess energy. And uh also happy birthday. Happy birthday, babes. So I guess this is the part of the show where I always say, what do we say to all of the airhead bitches out there? 
Oh, to all of the airheads out there, we say, blessed be, bitches. Blessed be, you airhead witches. Goodbye. Bye now. Not sleeping enough, or is it that extra shot of whiskey I shouldn't have taken? Um, Oopsie poopsie.